Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and this is Your Strata Property. Leisha Deaboites is a partner at Masson's, a boutique law firm specialising in commercial property law. Leisha practices in all aspects of commercial property law, but has a particular specialisation in complex titling, including long-term leasehold arrangements, stratum subdivision and strata management and compliance. Leisha acts for clients from various sectors, including property and investment funds, government departments, receivers and liquidators, banks and real estate developers. Leisha sits on the REI New South Wales Strata Chapter Committee and regularly contributes articles to the REI New South Wales Journal and Strata Chapter Newsletter. She's also a column contributor for Domain Chinese. Today, I am delighted to welcome Leisha Deaboites. Welcome, Leisha. Thank you. Pleasure to have you here today, Leisha, and I think we were probably last chatting in person at the Women in Real Estate Conference, and we were each having a chat about this new Part 10 of the Strata Schemes Development Act here in New South Wales, started on the 30th of November 2016, and this is that section that is about the collective sale or collective redevelopment of strata buildings, and I know that you have been going around town delivering some seminars and some workshops with a particular focus on this part of the new law. So I thought, let's get you on the show. Let's have a bit of an in-depth discussion about how that new law works. We have had a chat before to Dr. Hazel Easthope from the University of New South Wales, just with an overview on that law. And I'm hoping today we can dig down a little bit deeper into it. So thank you so much for giving us your time today and your expertise. I want to start by asking you to tell us why these new provisions about the collective sale or redevelopment of a building, of a strata building, are so critical. Okay. Well, um, thanks, Amanda, and obviously pleasure to be here. It's interesting that you mentioned um, Dr. Hazel Eastall because I do think basically one of her recent studies in 2014 and the statistics that come from that are actually indicative of why it is so critical. Mm. So, I mean, coming out of that, some of the stats, as you'd be well aware, is that we're looking at 75,000 registered strata schemes in New South Wales. We're looking at nearly 2 million people living in strata. And we're also, I think we've got to be conscious that there's nearly a third of residents living in apartments and units in New South Wales where much of that is strata. So, Mm. These are laws and these are changes that were necessary and critical and they they affect quite a large number of people, not not just residential either, commercial as well. And certainly we're seeing that in our practice, a lot of impact on commercial strata schemes. So I think think the reason they're quite critical is the fact that historically it was only possible to terminate a strata scheme with unanimous consent. So that's a problem. It's hard to get unanimous consent when you've got three people in the room, when you've got a thousand people in a scheme or Mm -hmm. 500 or or 300, it's a struggle. And there's a struggle not just for people being disinterested. Apathy also plays a big part. So in terms of getting 100% of people across the line to terminate a scheme, even when it's best for everyone, 
when it's a dilapidated scheme where, where levies are, are making it impossible, and special levies to repair a complete roof or, mm. or fix concrete cancer, where, where that's making it prohibitive to occupy a strata scheme but you cannot terminate, you're actually finding that there's a lot of people stuck in those schemes mm. or forced to, forced to sell out of them at not the best possible value, not optimum value for those schemes. So I think the reason these changes are critical and a lot of the reason for the change behind them is the concept not only of urban redevelopment, which is a big push and, and important, but also about dealing with that difficulty in reaching that unanimous consent where it's not necessarily everybody's preferred position, but where it makes sense for the greater majority. Mm. So, and look, I think the way they've done it, they've tried to recognise that there is this minority that may not want to move. And I think it's clear that look, the legislature's put a lot of time into creating protections and checks and balances for that minority. Not everyone's happy about it, obviously, but I think there's a lot of people that are. They mm. see it a great way as a great way forward. And frankly, I see it as something that needed to be introduced. There needed to be another option. Yeah, I do agree with you. And I'm certainly one of those people in your camp that says, I think it is the best solution that we have. Uh, we needed it. And I think it's clear that a lot of time, energy, research has gone into finding a better way. And I think we do have a better way. And it's really fascinating for us as lawyers and stakeholders in the, in the sector, working with owners every day. And I work more so with, with residential. I know you with commercial, seeing how this plays out. So can we get into what the process actually is under this new law? What are the steps that owners' corporations are going to have to take if they want to get involved in a collective sale or redevelopment? Yes, absolutely. Look, as you'd know, there's, it's quite a large chunk of the legislation, Part 10, and it's fairly complex in terms of the different steps you've got to jump through. That's intentional because it's about protecting this minority. So, so that's fine, but it, it's not a very simple part of the legislation to navigate and mm. it's highly compliance-driven. So we think here at Masson's that the easiest way to navigate that is to break it into three key stages. So the first stage that we think you need to look at is someone needs to bring a proposal. They need to bring a strata renewal proposal to the scheme, whether it's a redevelopment or a collective sale. That proposal can be brought from within the scheme or externally, so a developer could bring it. To be frank, I'm not seeing a lot of developers willing to bring it separately. They seem to be engaging with particular owners and mm. asking owners to do that. Mm. But proposals need to be brought and the proposal needs to be brought to the strata committee first and then considered by the owners corporation. And if approved, it gets the green light. Then you move into the second stage of the process. Can I just stop you there, Leisha? To move into the second stage, is that a resolution in a general meeting to go to the second stage? Ultimately, yes, it right. is. It's a majority, um, it's a majority vote. But first of all, it needs to go to the strata committee. Yep. And at the strata committee, they consider it and decide whether to take it to the owners' corporation for consideration. But then if it goes past the strata committee, it then ends up at the owners' corporation for and where it's passed by ordinary resolution, whether or not to proceed mm -hmm. with the proposal. And also at that time, you would decide things like, are we going to engage other experts? What are our budgets for proceeding with this? Mm. General kind of housekeeping matters about how it should run. A lot of people have said to me, because the second stage is preparation of the strata renewal plan. And I get a lot of queries, gosh, we've got to prepare a proposal. And the, and the legislation's prescriptive about what goes in the proposal. Why do we then need to prepare a plan? Mm. And I think the easiest way to look at it is that a proposal is a bit like a pitch document. It's a bit like going 
going to a corporation, whether you're, and if it's comes from within, it's like a shareholder going to a corporation and saying, here's my pitch. I think this would be great for everyone. We'll all make a lot of money. This is the time frame. I've, I've done a bit of research. But then the plan is the actual detailed execution and actually seeing whether that pitch stacks up, mm. which is then brought to the owner's corporation and then ultimately taken to the court. Mm -hmm. But the second stage in the process is that the preparation of the plan. So if you get through stage one, you'll be creating a, a committee which is the strata renewal committee to prepare the plan. Mm -hmm. And in that second stage, the plan is prepared and the committee will do so in accordance with its delegated authority and its budgets and engaging experts. And I think there you're going to have a lot of valuation mm. involvement. Yep. And they'll prepare the plan. And then when they're ready, they bring that back to the owners corporation for review. And then that goes to general meeting. And this is at the general meeting, you need to have it supported by a special resolution. So it may be that you bring it to the general meeting and they say, look, we like what you've done there, but I think you need to go back and fix part A or we're not really sure about the timing or the value you've proposed. So you can go back to the drawing board or it could just get rejected there and it could be shut down if the special resolution fails and if, mm. or, or if there's a special resolution not to proceed. Mm -hmm. But once it gets the green light there, then you go out and you request the support notices, which is what the, the media hype is about. That's for 75% of lot owners opting in. Mm. So um, you need people to positively say yes, like apathy will be a no. Mm. And there's a lot of steps in that process which are, are complex and need to be explored and, and dealt with properly mm. because the third stage is if you were fortunate enough to collect your support notices and, and get your, your requisite support, you then need to go to the court stage, so land and environment court, at which you need to obtain an order. But I think the the simplest, most basic way to look at that is that the court is there to review and check that the process has been properly complied with. So mm. it's there as a protection for that minority, that everybody's done everything by the book and it will then give effect to that decision to proceed with the renewal process. Mm -hmm. Okay. So just a quick summary of those three stages, if you like. Uh, Number one, the proposal or the pitch. I really like that way of looking at it. Mm -hmm. The pitch to the owners to say, hey, is this something that you're interested in? That's your step yep. one. Your next stage is preparing the strata renewal plan and you will have by then had a general meeting ordinary resolution saying let's go ahead and prepare that strata renewal plan, get the strata renewal committee together and you're then going to put that strata renewal plan to the general meeting and achieve a special resolution. So that's going to be at least 75% based on a unit entitlement count voting in favour of the strata renewal plan. And then there's a separate process where owners actually have to sign forms and opt in to say, yes, we support this strata renewal plan. And that's the calculation we've been hearing about in the media, which is 75% of lot owners must give their support to the strata renewal plan. That's right. So that's sort of that middle stage. Uh, yes. And I mean, the, I guess it's important to flag that the lot owners is is non-utility lots. So yes. um, yeah, so it's 75% of occupational lots voting yep. in and positively opting in. Yep. yep. So where you're a lot owner and you have a separate lot for your parking space or a separate lot for your storage room, those lots don't count. It's your lot that you're residing in or running your business from. Correct. Okay. And then that final stage is we're off to the Land and Environment Court to get it all approved by the court, checks, the court checks the process and make sure that it is all, is it just and equitable, the terms that they're using in that legislation? 
Ah, uh, yes, I think that's right. Yeah, um, and that it's um, they can. There's different things that the court can do there. They can refer you to mediation. They can um, they can make minor amendments to the strata renewal plan, but they need the consent of the parties involved. So it is quite restrictive, but it's possible for it to all fall apart there. And, mm. and I think that's why you need to be really careful that you're not cutting any corners in that those first two stages, because the worst thing that could happen is that you incur a huge amount of expense and, a, and, and it goes on for quite a long time and gets unraveled in that yeah, last stage. Definitely. Yeah, that's something that I want to get into in a moment, the, the time that this takes and the commitment that developers or owners, if they're doing it collectively, have to make to this process. Something that you mentioned in there, Leisha, as part of that second stage, there's going to be a lot of work on getting valuations and working with valuers. Can you tell us a bit yeah. about why that's important? Yes, look, um, valuers are, I think, a really critical role in the process. There's two points in time where you need independent valuations. So you need an independent valuation prior to issuing and circulating that strata renewal plan to the owners for their, their consent. And you also need an independent valuation to be done again and, and a fresh one and, and not a... Um, not, I guess, a stale one. It's going to be less than 45 days old when you submit the court application to the Land and Environment Court. Mm. And I suspect they need to be independent, but I think you will also need to, um, I, I think it would be helpful to have valuers on board in terms of the feasibility sense very early in, in the process, yep. up in, the, in, in the pitch stage, in the proposal stage. So they would be non-independent. They would be telling you what they think in terms of progressing your proposal. So I think I think there's a lot of roles for the valuer to play here. And I think what I see in terms of a policy movement is that that's where I think there'll be a lot of focus on is are you receiving fair value? Because it's Mm. linked to the compensation value that you would receive under Section 55 of the Just Terms Compensation Act. So it's very similar in the way it operates in that they're treating it like a compulsory acquisition. Mm. So the intention is to make sure that people receive not just a fair value, but almost a, a fair value plus costs. Yeah. And and that also there's a risk there you can see in terms of having two different independent valuations and the court would assess both in terms of movement between when you make the decision to go ahead mm. and when you actually go and get the court order. So I would be cautioning moving very quickly between making the decision to approve and seeking the court order. So the risk of the difference between those valuations is minimal. Yeah, and that leads us into this topic of time and how long is this all going to take? I know that when I am talking to owners, a few developers and some real estate agents about embarking on this process, that is the question that is always asked, Amanda, how long is this process going to take? I've read the legislation. It all seems very long and drawn out. And I've been telling them, look, I can't see you doing this any more quickly than one year. And it would probably, depending on what the court's like when you get there and who's objecting, how many objections you have, two years. What do you think? Look, yeah, I, I think what it comes down to, and I think your point that it depends on who's objecting mm. and, and how ardently they're objecting, that's going to be the critical factor. I think you'll find a lot of people, and I think I think you'll find that there's a lot of people looking to use this process as a means of leverage as, a pro- as opposed to ever intending to complete it. Mm-hmm. So they're using it where people hold already 80% mm-hmm. and they're basically saying to the recalcitrant lot owner, we're serious, we've got a proposal together, we're going to move on it. So they're hoping to actually resolve it before it ever completes. So in that sense, you might find that it's a very quick process because you just need to start it. Mm. 
you also might find that if everybody has their ducks in a row and they're aligned in their thoughts and their um and their views, particularly for commercial strata mm-hmm. schemes where they're doing this and where maybe apathy is a bigger driver rather than absolute contesting mm. of the of the proposal, that will actually move quite quickly because you might have, you know, a lot of people on board and moving quickly and actually supportive of it. Mm. In which case I think if they're prepared and they've done a lot of homework, I think a year is probably a fair estimate. But I do think if you have everyone on board and there's no one really dissenting, mm. but it's just a matter of getting everyone together and fighting that apathy, yep. you might be able to do it in less. Yeah, sure. Whereas, but then I think in terms of, of the court order process, certainly in our discussions with barristers and, you know, scoping for fees of what has not yet ever been tested, mm. that's the biggest factor. Yep. It could be, could be short and sweet and quick because it could just be compliance driven and you could have two valuations that are identical you have nobody suggesting that there's really an issue because mm. it's just apathy that's driving it. Mm. But it could just be neat and clean and wrapped up very quickly. But I think the minute that you get somebody dissenting and objecting in the middle of those court proceedings, then how long's a piece of string? Mm, exactly. What do you think will be some of the common problems with the process and how do you think those problems can be overcome? Look, I reckon, um, I think timing will be one of the yeah. one of the biggest issues. I'm particularly concerned about the timeframes that has been allowed around the return of the support notices and the lapsing mm. timeframe that kicks in that after the owners corporation makes a decision to issue support notices, the plan will lapse within three months after that date. But you're not allowed to start collecting them for sixty days. When you say support notices, these are the notices that at least seventy five percent of lots need to sign in approval of the strata renewal plan. Correct, yes. So once you get to that point in time, to me, the, I think the intentions were good in terms of they wanted to draft it so that it would prevent lot owners from being harassed during the first 60 days of consideration. So if there was a developer in the background, they wouldn't be harassed mm. to return their support notices. But they've left such a tiny window for return of them and then the plan lapses. And whilst, whilst yes, potentially you can re-enliven it, who wants to go to that trouble and expense to go back to the beginning of mm. the process or reconsider it as an owner's corporation and have to look at whether or not you've re-enlivened it properly once it's lapsed? Mm. So, look, I think that's going to be a big problem. We've looked at case law in Singapore and um, the timing over there was a massive drama and mm. they had 12 months. Is our so, legislation modelled on what's been happening in Singapore? I think it's modelled collectively on various other structures. I think principally New Zealand um, has a very similar structure, but New Zealand is much younger. So in terms of um, and in terms of current case law, there seems to be um, a lot of information about that. That there's more information about the Singaporean system and 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 the issues that went wrong with that. So there are things with like reserve prices were a real problem there. So people setting reserve prices too high in their proposals and Mm. not being able to meet them and therefore not having an approved renewal process but not being able to execute it because they couldn't get past the reserve price that they'd set. Mm. So so back to your original question, I think timing is a big problem, particularly that section. Mm. I think that's a really tight time frame and I think people are going to run into issues there. I also think that proper compliance. So I think people skipping a step or thinking they've done steps appropriately without actually properly complying is going to be a way for dissenting owners to try and unravel things yes. at the um, at the pointy end when it gets to the land and environment court. So I think that needs to be taken very seriously yes. um, and things need to be done per the letter of the law. Mm. I do think that 
value, like so the reserve price issues that I was talking about may come into it as mm. an issue. But to me, the, the main things are going to be proper compliance and timing. And I think the fact that the legislature's put that real emphasis on proper compliance, that that's the intention mm. of the section is that it's properly complied with and that's the the um, the right of review very much hinges off that, off mm. proper compliance and I think that's going to be a real sticking point if people don't get that just so. Mm, I agree. Thank you for that insight. We probably have some listeners, maybe some owners, some developers who I know are out there. I know there are some eager real estate agents who are um, chatting to their owners and trying to understand this legislation and understand whether it's a good fit for them to embark on this process. If they want to start engaging with the process, what would be the first thing that you would recommend they do? So I think the, the thing that we've been talking, as you mentioned, we've been talking to people um, for the last kind of few months we've mm. been presenting on this. And the one thing that I say to people, if you can take something away, take away the magic numbers because that's how you decide whether to trigger the process. That's why, whether you decide whether to go green light or red flag on it. Mm. So I think in terms of getting the green light, you want to make sure that you count your numbers first. So the two magic numbers are 75 and 25 basically in this process, that kind of determines everything. If you have 75, and by 75, I mean 75% of lot owners on board, and that, as we discussed earlier, excludes utility lots. So 75% of lot owners in your camp, and the lot owners need to be actually positively supporting it. So not people that are, you're not counting, or there's not more than 25% that are aggressively opposed. Mm. They can't, you've got to count apathy as a no as well. So 75 percent of yeses and then you've also got to have 75 percent of unit entitlements across the line so whilst you may not need 75 percent of unit entitlements to pass a special resolution as we know you need to have more than 25 percent vote against to lose a special resolution if i had 75 percent of unit entitlements in that scheme in my camp I'd be comfortable to say, right, green light. But if I knew that there was 25% or more of lot owners, well, sorry, greater than 25% of lot owners or unit entitlements that were either in a position or completely apathetic. So and by apathy, I mean you can't track them down. Nobody has yes. a has a contact number for them. Mm. They're, they're lost to you. Mm. And that, that often happens in um, strata schemes. You have just overseas owners who mm. don't care and don't engage. That's where I'd be going, right, we've got a red flag on this. Let's investigate this further before we spend time and money Mm. pushing forward the process. Yep, good point. I agree with you. That should be the first port of call and that's what I'm seeing a number of buildings looking at now. Okay, Leisha, personal question. What books have had the greatest impact on you and why? Um, yeah, I um, I was thinking about this actually um, and with a five-year-old and eight-year-old son, my recent literature is centered <laughs> around Roald Dahl and uh, Pokemon chapter books. Oh, but nice. I would say <laughs> I would say the um, the biggest impact on my life would be Jane Austen's Emma and that's because oh, it's my yeah, well, it's my my favorite book and um, my husband on my now husband on our second date told me it was his favorite book. Oh wow, I'm still not, the deal. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not certain it is. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've never seen him picked up an Austin novel since then. But anyway, nice it's had an impact. Yeah, you we're did. married now, so yeah, it's, um, it's had an impact. I love yeah. that. Excellent. And do you find time to read much fiction for yourself? Oh look, I, I do, I do. I um, I've read the entire Game of Thrones series actually. Oh, good um, on you. Good yeah, on you. It's so, one of those um, things that you know we've all watched it and 
and enjoyed it and, and said, I know there's these books, I should read the books, but I have met very few people who've actually got that far. <laughs> no, I, I, I love the books. I devoured them. Oh, so, um, yeah, when, when I find the time, I do, but it, it is hard in a busy life at the yeah. moment to, to find a lot of time. So hard. All right. Well, as a busy woman, I am very honoured that you have been able to take the time out today to speak with us. How do our listeners find out more about you and is there anything you'd like to add before we say goodbye? Um, oh, well, firstly, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. And in terms of finding out more about me, you can visit our website, which is massons, M-A-S-S-O-N-S dot com. Or you can email me or call me. My contact details are on the website. So please feel free to engage. In terms of um, anything else, I think all I would say is um, if be alive to your options on Strata Renewal. It's mm. a, Whether you've got a small investment or a large investment, it's something that you should be considering. And, you know, a lot of Strata schemes, whilst it's often um, tough that you have such a large number of people involved, the flip side is that that can often be a blessing. You have people that are talented. You might have planners and architects mm. and valuers and lawyers sitting within your own strata scheme. So tap into that. See whether it's a real prospect for your scheme and work out whether or not that's something that's worth pursuing. And if it's not, then enjoy your unit as it is. Mm -hmm. And if it is, well, stack it up. See if you've got the magic numbers. Fabulous. All very good advice. Thank you so much, Leisha. Thank you very much, Amanda. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? 